You are listening to the Grace Covenant Cornelius Podcast. And uh, today I wanted to let you know that uh, Pastor Farrell is actually on a much-needed sabbatical. Uh, So you can continue to keep him in your prayers, him and his family. Just pray that it will be a time of refreshment and a time of just really great connection between him and his family. Uh, But we have a special treat for you today. Uh, We have our brand new pastor on staff, Pastor David Berry, who's now the pastor of adult discipleship here at Grace Covenant. He's going to be bringing the word today. So let's give him a little encouragement as he comes. Thank you. Just to get things rolling, I just want to let the camera guys know, if if you're going to put me on the screen, can you turn the camera this way? Because I think that makes me look taller and skinnier. Just, I think if you just flip it, no, not going to do that. Okay, I guess I'll just keep going then. It's exciting to be uh, with you this morning. If I haven't met you, I want to meet you. I want to have a conversation with you. I haven't been here uh, with the Grace team and Grace family long, but I'm excited about the the opportunities here with you. Um, When Pastor Farrell approached me, and and by the way, she mentioned Pastor Farrell being being on sabbatical. Let's be praying for his family over the next uh, few weeks. Man, just that they would get revived and refreshed and have a lot of fun too. Uh, so just be praying for him. When he approached me with the opportunity to speak this morning, especially because of the topic of being in the valley, I was excited about it only because I'm coming out of a season I feel like my family was in the valley. Uh, I don't know that we get too excited about being in a valley, but we certainly can be excited about coming out of it or being out of it, and that's kind of where we find ourselves. So over the past few years, our family has been through uh, a transitional season. We had to stay in Virginia. We stepped down from a church and then had to stay in Virginia because we were finalizing an adoption. And so anyways, God's timing. How many of you love God's timing? Not always, right? Yes, and we like, like, well, I mean, come on, when it's on my timing, I love it, but when it's not on my timing. Uh, so we waited and waited and waited and was seeking God, and plans began to change, and things that we thought we were telling, he was telling us at the beginning of our valley were not the same as the things he was telling us at the end of our valley. But it was an exciting time, and we are, we are here, we're moved in, we're excited to be here with you. So we've been covering a series called Hope in the Dark, found out of the book of Habakkuk. I think Habakkuk, unless you're following a journaling plan that'll take you through every book of the Bible, Habakkuk's probably a book that we skip over way too many times as we're reading through Scripture, uh, partially because we just can't, we can't say Habakkuk. Uh, so we just skip over it. Another reason might be it's a short book. It's only about three chapters in the, in the middle of all this other stuff going on. It's only about three chapters. Uh, so we might just skip over it. And I'm so excited that we have a series that is focusing on it because it's a powerful little book that we find in scripture that can uh, encourage us, teach us, and and draw us closer to Jesus. So I always get excited about that. So that series is closing out this morning. If you have your worship guide, uh, the communications team has actually developed a devotional that goes along with the series. So if you have a a worship guide, you also have this devotional. It's uh, it's a benefit to you if you spend some time just working through that, even even if you're seeing it for the first time this morning. So in Habakkuk chapter 1, we discover the, the prophet Habakkuk was 
at a, a season or in a crisis of belief. And I think we can all say that we have found ourselves there from time to time when circumstances around us aren't making sense and, and even beyond not making sense, circumstances that are, are painful and we feel alone. And, and so some of us, if not all of us, I've been there time and time again where I, I say things like this, God, I can't believe you would or I can't believe that you wouldn't. Uh, so we find Habakkuk the prophet kind of in that same type of, of mode, questioning God and, and seeking him. And in chapter 2, we find the prophet waiting for God to do something. How many of you are proficient at waiting? Nobody, nobody in here is proficient. How many of you are okay with waiting? Like you're, you're a pretty patient person. Okay, I thought there might be a few. I am not that person. In fact, I think many terrible things about the person who, who developed the stop sign. Like, what in the world were you thinking? Just let us drive. Let me keep going. And uh, I'm not a very patient person. I'm the type of person that God will uh, constantly direct me to drive behind the slowest person on the road. Just so that he has time to say something to me in the midst of my drive. Uh, but we find Habakkuk in chapter 2 uh, waiting for God to do something. Now in chapter 3 we begin to see a shift or a reset in what Habakkuk is experiencing. And so we're going to dig a deeper into that. So we find the reset being this, or the transition being this, confusion turning to trusting. Oh, thank you, Jesus. And if we wait, our confusion can turn to trusting. And then we also see this happening in his life, feeling unsettled. He feels unsettled, and that turns to embracing. When we are overwhelmed in the difficulties of life and experiencing pain in the unknown, it is hard, it's hard to wait. Throughout life, we will have experiences that are painful and make no sense. You know, our season of transition was that. Um, again, because I don't necessarily like to wait. I would have loved to step out of, of one uh, season of ministry right into another, but God took us through a, a long season of waiting. The thing that did develop in my life was a, a deeper sense of trusting God than I had before. And I've walked with Jesus. I was saved before I turned five years old, and it was real to me. It's always been real to me. I've never had a sense of, of needing to rededicate my, my heart to him, although many times I probably have to rededicate my actions, my life, my attitude. Uh, but I've always loved Jesus, and I've always trusted him. There's never been a question of, of who he is, but in a season of, of waiting, I, I find myself many times in the past uh, just, you know, you've been there trying to tell God what's best for you. What's best for me? Like if you would only do this, everything would be fine. And come on, God, speed up, catch up to me. Um, and that's just not always best. Just waiting on God for him to speak. Instead of giving into despair, we need to proactively pursue God in the struggle. Let me say that again. When we find ourselves in the valley, instead of giving into despair, we need to proactively pursue God, run after him. Seek him, pray more, listen more, wait more, do all those things more than perhaps you had before. Habakkuk prayed for around 12 years for justice. How many of you have a hard time praying for 12 minutes? Or specifically for one thing for 12 days? Like you get past two or three, I mean, Jesus was risen in three days. I don't think we should have to pray for more than three days, right? I mean, all that happened in three days and I've got to pray for more than three, right? So those times of waiting... Habakkuk prayed for 12 years for justice. 12 years. I don't want to find myself in that valley. <laughs> Through times of waiting, it can be hard to believe that God is hearing us, much less trust 
that he is working. It's hard to believe that he's hearing us, much less trust that beyond my sights or beyond my understanding, God is at work. For, you know, we have to believe that God, his intentions for us are good. And not just good, but way beyond what we can imagine good is. The psalmist knew this feeling when he verbalized it perfectly in Psalms 23. Even when, even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid. Even when I walk through the darkest valley. So what do we do when we find ourselves in the valley? We're going to go through four different points. Another great thing about grace, if you didn't know this, is there's an app that you can get on your device and follow along and actually fill in the blanks of the notes there. So if you have your device, you can pull that out. If you're online, you can pull out your devices and follow along and fill in the blanks as we go. So what do we do when we're in the valley? The first thing is this. Reflect on the character of God. Reflect on the character of God. Of God. Habakkuk 3 2 says, I've heard all about you, Lord. I am filled with awe by your amazing works. Reflect on the, the character of God. Going, we reflect on who He is. Not necessarily on what He does, but we re- reflect on who He is, the character of God. Typically, when we are in the valley, we are watching for what we want or think God should do. How many of you go to God with already a plan already written out? So typically what we do when we're in the valley, we've got a plan developed for God to follow to get us out of the valley. Our perspective or focus is narrow during those times. We give very little attention to who he is. We give a lot of attention to, uh, to what we feel, to what we're experiencing, to the pain, to the confusion, to the doubt. But in those times, we, we have to devote a lot of time on just focusing, reflecting on the character of God because... Our perspective is everything. A.W. Tozer said this, It is impossible to keep our moral practices sound and our inward attitudes right while our idea of God is erroneous or inadequate. In other words, it's hard to keep our perspective of the world around us and the circumstances that surround us accurate when our perspective of God is inaccurate. See, all of our actions are typically based on our view of God, our perspective of who God is. Several years ago, I grew up in the Foursquare family, and uh, so as I stepped into ministry, we were going to, to many different conferences, and I always love going to the conferences because I get to see people I haven't seen in a few years or many years. And, and so anyways, the, the conference is really connected. Uh, you're shaking people's hands. You're giving people's hugs. You're smiling way too often. I mean, you go to your room that night, and it's just like, oh, you got to massage your cheeks just to let the smile go away. I mean, it's one of those type of things, and I love it. I'm a people person, so I gain energy when there's a lot of people around. And I'm hugging and shaking hands and, and all. So this is happening at the Foursquare conference several years ago. And my wife was with me and she was doing her thing. She's a little quieter. She's a lot quieter uh, than I am. And so I'm sure she was talking with some people. But, you know, the whole time I love my wife. I love her dearly. And I love spending time with her no matter where we're at. And so the whole time I was greeting and hugging and shaking hands, I'm trying to keep track of where she's at, too. And and so anyways, out of, out of the corner of my eye, I see her and I wanted to connect with her again. Let me tell you this. My love language is touch. 
How many of y'all know what that means? My love language is touch. And so a lot of times when I'm talking to somebody, I just, I care about you. I'll start tapping you on the shoulder or something like that. Uh, I love shaking hands because that's my love language is touch. And, and my wife knows that. Uh, so anyways, we're greeting and hugging and shaking hands and all this is going on. There's a lot of excitement and noise in the room and people are moving around. And so I see her out of the corner of my eye and I walk up behind her and I give her a little love pat right on the bottom. Because that's how much I love her. And she turns to me and I find out that this woman is not my wife. (laughs) Like from my perspective, I promise you, I promise you, I was totally sold on it. She's my wife. She has very curly hair and she had the same color shirt, same style of shirt, jeans on. Like from that, my perspective, just glancing, I, I walked up and gave that woman a nice little pat. She turns to me and I go, I love you. (laughs) So I said that after the first service and somebody asked me, well, what happened? You got to say what happened. I dropped to my knees and asked for forgiveness. Forgive me, Father, for I know not what I do. That happens a lot in my life. Uh, But I so and again, knowing the four square family, it was uh, it was not an easy conversation. It's probably one of the few times in my life that I've been embarrassed. Uh, but I, I explained to her, and I, and I think within a, a, what seemed like forever, uh, but my wife comes walking up, and obviously there was a lot of similarities, at, at least from the perspective that I had. Right? Our perspective means everything. Because our, my perspective, if my perspective had been differently, I promise you, I'm the new pastor here, I promise you I would have not patted this woman on the bottom. Again, my love language is touch, but I tend to go to the shoulder. After the first service, I was trying to greet people in the hallway, and they were all like, <laughs> that didn't happen. I'm lying. The rest of this morning will be truth, though. So our perspective means everything. So I, I thought of the, these things just, you know, walking through life and knowing how our perspective changes, affects how we interact with God. The way we, we view God will determine how we interact with him. Do we see God as one who is just, just can't wait to punish us? I think I grew up feeling that way. Kind of a legalistic type of feeling, especially as a, a teenager. I was always one that couldn't sit still and couldn't keep quiet and moving around a lot and getting in trouble. And, you know, not for anything bad, but just for stupid things. And, but I always felt like, man, every time I messed up, that I had to run to God very quickly and, you know, do the penance thing and... Because I didn't, I didn't want him to think anything different of me. Right? I, didn't, I didn't want him to think badly of me. I, how many of you have tried to explain to God over and over, but I have a good heart. It was just kind of those things. So our perspective of God changes how we interact with him. Do we see him as somebody who's just waiting to punish us? Do we see him as the disappointed father who was ashamed to call us his own? Do we see him as one who just doesn't have time for us? Do we seek him in the valley or do we hide from him in the valley? I wonder with Adam and Eve if they would have done things differently after sinning. You know, they, we see in scripture that they hid from God. Do we reflect on his goodness or refrain from seeing him at all? And the first thing we need to do when we're in the valley, and typically we know when we're in the valley. In fact, a lot of times we know as soon as we step into the valley where we're at. The first thing that we do in this process is reflect on his goodness. Reflect on the character of God, who he is, because his intentions for us 
are always good. The second thing, so we reflect on the character of God. The second thing is this, remember what God has done. When we begin to recall and recount God's faithfulness in the past, it fuels our faith and gives us hope in the present. I'm going to read a passage of scripture. I'll tell you where it's found if you want to look on your devices. It's Psalm 77. I'm going to read verses 1 and 2, and then I'm going to float over to verses 7 through 12. Psalm 77, starting in verse 1 and 2. I cry out to God. Yes, I shout. Oh, that God would listen to me. When I was in deep trouble, I searched for the Lord. All night long I prayed with hands lifted toward heaven, but my soul was not comforted. So we see right away that the, the psalmist here has somewhat of the same uh, feelings or ex- experiencing the same type of thing as Habakkuk was in chapter 1. Then going down to verse 7, has the Lord rejected me forever? Will he never again be kind to me? Is his unfailing love gone forever? Have his promises permanently failed? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he slammed the door on his compassion? And I said, this is my fate. The Most High has turned his hand against me. Now we see a reset even in in the life of the psalmist here in verse 11. But then I recall all you have done, O Lord. I remember your wonderful deeds of long ago. They are constantly in my thoughts. I cannot stop thinking about your mighty works. So the same thing was happening in the psalmist's life as we see in Habakkuk, and the same thing needs to happen in our lives. When we're in the valley, the first thing we need to do is reflect on the goodness, the character of God. The second thing we need to do is remember what he's done. We've all been there. There's, there's circumstances that we faced over and over in our life, whether it be with the relationship or finances or just the belief that God can heal and will heal. We've all been there where we face something that we have this little crisis happening. And at those moments, we need to remember what God has done. So if you're struggling this month in your finances, remember the last month God provided and he provided the month before that and the month before that and the month before that. If you struggle praying for someone over healing, remember that God has healed. He's healed people right around you. Remember that God's healed. We have to remember what God has done. I love the instructions that God gave to Joshua as Joshua is leading the Israelites across the Jordan River, right? He's leading the, the Israelites into the promised land. He's crossing over the Jordan River. We know the story. God stops the water. They walk across on dry land, but God gave these instructions to Joshua. Pick one person from each tribe and have them grab a stone from the dry bed, the dry river bed. And when you get to the camp that you're going, set an altar there with those 12 stones. And this is why I want you to do that, Joshua, because generations to come can come to this altar and remember what I've done. They'll come to this altar and they'll remember and they'll worship, they'll praise me for what I've done. Because I don't know about you, but it seems like the stories that spread the fastest are the negative ones. Whether they be about you or just life or circumstances, it seems like the the negative stories are the ones that that travel the farthest, and especially with Facebook and fun things like that. But God says, build that altar of stones so you can remember what I've done. So we we, we reflect. We, We reflect. I get a little nervous every time I look at the clock there. (laughs) I I made sure though I made sure that there was going to be interpreters here this morning and when I say interpreters that's for tongues because when I get down to time I may just start finishing the sermon in tongues but I was assured there are interpreters here and according to scripture I have to make sure that so I promise it will all be in English we reflect we remember the third thing is this embrace 
Embrace the season. Yes, embrace the valley. Not just the good times. Embrace. Embrace the valleys. We see this happening in the life of Habakkuk. Embracing a season in the valley can only happen after we have reflected on the character of God and remembered God's goodness. Embracing the season is not, listen to this, it's not a denial of hardships. When you embrace the valley, it's not a denial of hardships and pain. It's the realization that through hardship and pain, God has the opportunity to change me. So when I'm in the valley, I'm experiencing pain. I don't have to deny that. That shouldn't be a part of our prayer life. It's not hard. It's not hard. It's not, I'm just going to speak it into existence. Yes, it's hard. And yes, it's painful. And yes, there's going to be moments where we're crying, literally crying out to God. But in those times, in those times, embrace the season. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, it says this, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider an opportunity for great joy. How many of you all just ripped that page right out of your Bible? Some of you all laughing really hard. You did, I know. When troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Why can't we just step right into the perfect and complete? That's not what God says, though. God says that through the pain, through the suffering, through the hardship, that's when our faith is tested, our endurance grows, and and then we begin to experience his perfection and completeness for our lives. How many of us, if we had the opportunity, if we were the psalmist, we would have rewritten Psalms 23 to say something like this, even though I walk way around the valley, (laughs) even though I see the valley from the mountaintop. (sighs) So we reflect. We remember that third one was embrace. And the last one is this, worship. Worship through the valley. It's Habakkuk 3, verses 17 through 19. Worship of God and the difficulties of our lives opens the way for God to work through the difficulties. I don't know about you, but I I want to be more like Jesus. I'm sure my wife and my family and those closest to me want me to be more like Jesus. But then when I, when I stop and think about what Jesus experienced for me, many times I have to really confront myself, my flesh, to say, is that what I want? Because God's word is saying it's, it's through those times that I become more like Jesus. So we see that when we face those times, if we can get to a place where we welcome them, we're counting it joy. In fact, that means to continue to find contentment and pleasure in God in the midst of. If that's where my heart can be, that I continue to find contentment and pleasure in God, even though I'm in the valley and even though I'm facing hardships and difficulties and and pain, times that are bringing me to my knees. If we walk through this process, then we'll end up in a time of worship. One of my favorite places in this earth is my great grandmother's piano at my house. And there's been times when, when my grandparents have passed away or times where I was just struggling with the season that I found myself in that I could go and sit at that piano and just play a few chords and begin to lift my voice to God, not singing anything specific and sometimes just singing you are worthy, you are worthy over and over and over again because God is worthy. And even in the midst of my circumstances, the pain, the suffering, the trials, God is worthy. That doesn't change. 
But I tell you what does change me. I change. As I worship God, even in the midst of that. If you're taking notes, write this acronym down. Push. P U S H. And it stands for this. Praise until something happens. Praise until something happens. I didn't say pray. And I think it's vital that we say praise instead of pray because prayer many times in the midst of the valley is focused on the valley. Or at least what God can do for us to get us out of the valley. But when we begin to praise until something happens, all the words that we lift up are focused on who God is. They're focused on him. They're not focused on me and my need and my hurt and my pain and the circumstances. They're just focused on who God is. So praise until something happens. James 3 verses 4 and 5. And I read from the New Living Translation, so if you have a different translation, it's going to say something a little bit different. But I love this, what it says in James chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. And a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go. Even though the winds are strong, in the same way the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches. So what is this comparison? The comparison is my tongue to a rudder that turns a huge ship. Listen, when we begin to praise, when we begin to praise until something happens, it turns us from the circumstances to God. It turns us from the valley to the one who's walking with us through the valley. It turns us from the trials and the hardships, the pain, to the one who will deliver us from those things. But we've got to praise until something happens. And listen, I think it's important that we do that vocally, out loud. I think there's something that happens when we just kind of close our eyes and find a quiet place and think praise and meditate on praise. But I think something even more happens when we vocally begin to praise and worship God. Praise until something happens. As we lift up praises to God in the midst of the valley, we begin to navigate towards him. Just like that ship, just like the rudder turns the ship, when we begin to praise Our life begins to navigate towards him. Our worship becomes that rudder, turning our focus from the hardships in the valley to the one who will transform us while in the valley. Listen, your time in the valley, as you begin to pray, it might not be a quick deliverance, but it can be a gradual transformation. It may not take you out right away, but I can guarantee you this. He'll speak to you, and he'll begin to show you how your life can be transform in the midst of the valley the worship team is back up and we're going to close with some praise and worship because we want time to respond that push acronym praise until something happens listen if you're here this morning and you have found yourself in a valley praise until something happens begin to vocalize who god is not what you need or what you want but just begin to vocalize who god is because in the valley god will begin to trans transform you amen For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.